there's two two faith opportunities that I mean, there's always faith opportunities, but right now, right with this COVID virus and all the panic and all the scare and everything shut down and, you know, people's garages are full of hand sanitizer and toilet paper and beans and soup and napkins, it seems. Napkins are kind of hard to come by. All this thrash going on, the virus and the fear. We can have faith in God's provision and we can have faith in God's protection. I was going to talk about both today, but it's too much. So I'm going to talk about um, God's provision today and then uh, God's protection next week. The first scripture that I'd like to read for you is from Luke 18 and verse 8. It's the last sentence of that scripture. And it says this, Jesus speaking, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, hey, in here... John, we can actually put the scriptures up in here, or not, if you have to use the screen for the online. Oh, you're getting there. Okay. Good job. Looky there. All right. So, Jesus is is wondering, when he comes back, right, he's gone, but he's going to return. When he returns, is he going to find faith on the earth? Well, he's going to find some saved people for sure, and I'm sure he'll find some pockets of faith here and there. I mean, faith that believes for what he says. But will he find faith on the earth? Here's an opportunity for us right now in this time to demonstrate. If Jesus, we'd always look and right where his body, he sees us. He, he can see faith right now. And, and I'm exhorting and encouraging all of us, myself included, to demonstrate real faith. Faith beyond just that your sins can be forgiven. Faith that if all the toilet paper gets used up, somehow there's a role waiting for us because God provides these things. There's a window. I mean, I've been a Christian since, I think, 2001. So that's, that's not nothing, but it's not my whole life. I can't remember a time, even 9-11, right? People flocked into churches at 9-11. They can't flock into churches now because of this, all the restrictions. But I can't ever remember a time where the world has been such that the church can be the church, that we can actually demonstrate the supernatural power of God right this very minute. It's a, such a time as this moment. I, I'm, I feel like I want to just, uh, just like blow that thought up, but, but blow it up in your minds. Understand, I can't remember ever, ever having had the opportunity to tell people on the Internet that we have a little bit of toilet paper and we have a little bit of beans and we have a little bit of soup, and if you can't get any, you can come to my house and you can have some ours because I have a promise from God that I don't have to concern myself with that I won't have food to eat or toilet paper or whatever, that God has made a promise and I trust him. So I'm happy to share. I don't have to hoard because I know right now, right now is a time when we can do that. Another thing we can do, well, this will be next week, but we can trust that God can protect us from the COVID virus, that he can give us an immunity and, and somehow make the world aware that his people, the church, aren't sick. That's been my prayer, that the whole entire body of Jesus Christ would be inoculated such that, that nobody that is a Christian, a real, you know, Holy Spirit-sealed Christian, could get the COVID virus. Matthew five fourteen through 16. You could say, I... I am, or you are, the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's how our light shines in times like this. There were, oh, I wish I could remember the, the there's names for these plagues that would hit way back in, you know, in uh, New Testament times, but like in the second century, in the third century, that would come and, and people would just be decimated. And all the people that had means would, would run to the hills, so to speak, to avoid catching these plagues, except for the Christians. The Christians would stay. And the Christians would minister to the sick and they would give a proper burial to the dead. And they didn't have concern for themselves if they would get the plague or not get the plague. They were serving their God and they were letting their light, his light shine in such a way that people took notice. It's like, wow, what's up with the Christians? Why aren't they running and hiding? What's up with the rich Christians that they're not running and hiding? Because they have a call in their lives and they have an anointing on their lives. They have God in their lives in such a way that they wouldn't concern themselves with the plague. They would concern themselves with caring for those that couldn't care for themselves. And um, I don't know, historians, theologians, people believe that the uh, explosion of Christianity at that point in time was largely responsible to the way the Christians reacted during those plagues when multitudes of people were dying and multitudes of people were afraid and multitudes of people were running away, yet the Christians didn't run from the plague, they turned to the plague. And they let their light shine in such a way that people could see their good works and glorify their Father who is in heaven. That's for us right now, to let our light shine. We don't, nobody lights a lamp to put it under a basket. I mean, we've, at here we've talked about that a lot in the past. But God doesn't give you revelation. He doesn't give you anointing. He doesn't give you the, the bold things that are in his word for us to hide that under a basket by not reflecting it, by not um, putting it out to the world so that they can see it. So you, we, are the light of the world. And we need to not be afraid. We need to commit ourselves to not be afraid so that we can let our light shine and people can see it. And we will truly be a city on a hill that would draw all people to Jesus. It seems like the Bible teaches an if-then principle. That if we then God, if we then God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Repent and be saved. That, that the initiative, even though he might give us the grace to actually do it, that the if starts with us and the, and the then follows with God. Isaiah 58 is a beautiful, awesome chapter of Scripture. Um, this is God speaking through the prophet to his people Israel, and and even to us now in this time. Starting in verse 1 through verse 3, God speaks to the prophet. He says, Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that has done righteousness." And has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. 
They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. So he's rebuking Israel because they have this religious ritual of fasting. And and they they think, if I fast, then God is responsible to do these things for me. But essentially what happens is they're fasting, not according to bring about God's will, but they're fasting to bring about their own blessing and benefit. And God says, as a na- they seek me, like Israel seeks me, God, day by day and delight to know my ways. I'm paraphrasing, as if they were a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. So he's making a contrast. He's like, you seek after me like you really love my nearness, like a nation that believed they could have that nearness because they weren't filthy in their sin, yet you're filthy in your sin, and you're expecting me to respond. That's what he's saying. You can see this um, in the New Testament in James 4, 3 through 5. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever, whoever, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So in the New Testament, James is speaking to the church and calls them adulteresses. It's like you having an affair. You've been betrothed to Jesus, but you're having an affair with the world. And you ask God, but you don't get because you ask with wrong motives. You ask to serve your pleasures rather than to serve God's will. If we make ourselves a friend of the world, we make ourselves to be God's enemy. He jealously desires the spirit that he's placed inside of us. Now, I, I think... I think that means that God has given us his spirit. And he's expecting his church to emanate that spirit. That spirit's ways, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruits of God himself through the Holy Spirit through the church. But he's jealous because he put the spirit in there, but he can't see the spirit coming out. So in that rebuke, the church looks a lot like Israel looked when God was rebuking them in the first half of chapter 58 and their fasting. Now, here's the rest of Isaiah chapter 58. And I want you to see kind of the if-then perspective and see the glory that God is offering to his people if, in fact, they would desire a fast with a motive and a heart that would be indicative of him. Okay, now. Oh, okay. All right, I'm giving you a minute to get to the page of your Bible. Isaiah 58, we're going to read verses 6 through 11. Okay. One, two, three, here we go. God speaking. Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke? Understand that, Fasting is an act of humility before God. So Israel is fasting, 
trying to demonstrate some kind of humility, but really only because it's worth it to them to get something from God. So he's saying, no, no, you humble yourself and, and, and you cry out to me that this might be my answer, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am, if you removed, if you removed the yoke from your midst. The, point, <laughs> the pointing of the finger... And speaking wickedness. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So when we, when we fast, and when we pray, and when we cry out to God, God, there are people that are bound today. They're bound in fear. Lord, there are people that are in bondage to sickness. Lord, there are people who are hungry, and they can't find food to eat, or have basic needs like toilet paper. Oh, God, you have to move on this thing, and we humble ourselves. And those are the things that we cry out for. Then these are the things that he's going to use us for. Our light, be the light of the world, the city on here. Our light will shine forth. You know, people say, the Lord is my rear guard. It's like, well, that's a great scripture to quote, except it's conditional, right? When these things are true in your life, then these things are true from God. We see that in James, again, if you were to read those James scriptures that I just read, read down a little further in verse 10. So James chapter 4, verse 10. It's interesting, it starts with the word humble, right? Fasting is a way to humble yourself. James says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. How do you humble yourself? You fast, you pray, you share your food with the hungry. You pray and you, and you lay hands on people that they would be free of the bonds of affliction, that they'd be healed. Peter says the same thing in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verses 6 and 7. And, and interestingly, if I was to read a little bit earlier in James, he said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in Peter, if you read just before this, it says the very same thing. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What do you think that grace is for? Breaking bonds of wickedness, maybe? Seeing his hand move when you don't have any food to eat, when all the toilet paper's gone from the store? 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. I honestly believe with all my heart, God is looking to exalt the church right now. That, that, that if we've humbled, oh. Yeah, I know, I'm just getting rocked up here. I think maybe that one really had the Lord's heart. That, 
that if we have prepared ourselves in such a way that, that at this proper time we've prepared ourselves to be exalted, that he wants to see us do these things. I was praying this morning. I said, Lord, what can I do? Nobody has responded to my Facebook posts. And the thought I had was this. I'm going to go to Walmart or maybe the dollar store. It's closer. They both got empty toilet paper shelves. And I'm going to take like, I don't know, eight rolls of toilet paper and put two each in little shopping bags. And I'm going to go stand back in the, in the toilet paper department. And when somebody comes in and says, oh, I'm going to ask them, is your garage full of toilet paper? And if they say no, I said, are you really in need of toilet paper? And they say yes. I'm going to say, I'll be outside the door in a brown Buick. You come to my car and I'll give you some toilet paper because God has answered your prayer. And then I'll go back in and wait for the next one. And I'll say, don't worry about it. God is looking out for you. He's given me toilet paper to give you. That's how our light shines. Jesus wants you to know. You had a testimony. It was so beautiful. Heather Idoni was at the grocery, I guess, Alpine maybe, right? And um, there's, a, there's more than just a couple of mouths to feed in that house, hungry mouths. And they had a great big rice and they had a small rice. And Heather took the small rice. So that, huh? Yeah, come on, I tell stories better than you. <laughs> Heather took... Oh, there's a couple of small bags of rice, but she didn't take them all. She just took one. She didn't take any. She didn't take any. I should have you tell your story. <laughs> and then when you went outside in the parking lot or somewhere, somebody gave you a big bag of rice. Yeah, yes? All, all the rice on the shelf wouldn't have been enough for one meal in her house. So she left it all for somebody else. And then when you went out in the parking lot, was it? Somewhere. Someone gave you a big bag of rice. They gave me four pounds of rice, which was exactly what I needed. Four pounds of rice, which is exactly what she needed. I'm telling you, that's what, that's what this is. That's what this is right now. Those testimonies, the toilet paper at the front door, the rice in the parking lot. This is the time when our light can shine. God will multiply the toilet paper, so that we can give it to people and they can see how awesome he is. The rice, the... What? For anybody who's wondering, we, we now have like 90 pounds of rice because everybody kept bringing rice to my store. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, all, we're good. <laughs> that's perfect, though. I don't know if you could hear her on the internet, but, but literally people saw the testimony and have been bringing rice to the bookstore, and they got like 90 pounds of rice now. You know what? I'm going to stand in the rice department after I'm done with the toilet paper, and I'll tell people, yeah, I'm your... I didn't know it was one of the things that was being limited either. Yeah, amen. It's just beautiful. God wants to exalt the church. I Probably he always wants to exalt the church, but man, has he opened a window right now that if we would have his heart in these ways, that he will exalt us up and he'll be glorified. I'm saying, offer your stuff. Get on your Facebooks and offer your stuff. Tell them if you're sick, I'll pray for you. Tell them, I have a promise from God. I don't have any concern that I'll not have what I need. I'll share mine with you. If the church would overwhelm Facebook with those kind of things, but you've got to have some faith first, right? Maybe you offer up your rice and nobody brings you 90 pounds. I promise you, Heather will be at your doorstep because she'll know and they'll share what they have. Because God says that we should, we should look after, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure that's not the Bible word, all people, especially those in the household of faith, right? Take care of each other, 
look after the world. God will be glorified. I can't say that I've always had the faith that I have now. So, so if you're feeling like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to do that, then pray and ask God to help you with that. We, Teresa shared at our um, house church meeting on Friday about when we went to Mozambique. And uh, we were there like three days, and we went on the very first outreach, like nine hours bouncing around the back of a truck out to someplace in the Bush Bush Village. And uh, everybody was sick. We had these big Jesus film meetings, and the, the Mozambican pastor told the people that God would heal them and the missionaries would be God's hand to heal them. And like, I don't know, a thousand people were crushing towards us, and they all had stuff on them. It was scary. And uh, people were like, I forgot my hand sanitizer. I forgot my hand sanitizer. But I didn't. I, I probably, you expect, right, your pastor, right? I'm like, hey, listen, I have hand sanitizer. I have a promise from Jesus. I won't get sick. Use my hand sanitizer. I pushed that stuff so far down in my pocket and zipped my mouth so shut. I never told anybody I had san- hand sanitizer because I didn't have faith that if I got some of that stuff on me that I wouldn't be able to deal with it. So if your faith isn't there yet, then ask God to help you to grow your faith. Except the worms. <laughs> right, we came home with none of that stuff. We didn't actually have any. And I doubt that it was the hand sanitizer that saved us. It wasn't all that sanitary. Point is that we have promises from God. The world has grace. God gives the world grace. Everybody in the world has a certain grace from God because he said that his rain and his sunlight falls on the wicked and the just. So he's He's made a commitment to feed the world in whatever sense that looks like. But we have promises that the world doesn't have. Philippians 4, 5 through 9, if you're finding yourselves concerned about, man, if I put that out there, they're going to take all my toilet paper. This is what God says. Chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God is telling the church this, be anxious for nothing. What does that leave room for? Nothing. Right. There doesn't leave room for any anxiety. Is God trustworthy? He is. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay. Lord, pastor told me I have to offer up my toilet paper. But I'm not sure that I believe that I'll have toilet paper for me and for my family. So, Lord, I thank you that you're a trustworthy and a faithful God. I'm so grateful for all that you've done and who that you are. So I'm offering this fear, this anxiety up to you. I'm going to choose now not to be afraid. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses understanding or knowledge. It's like it's a piece that that you can't connect to peaceful things, let's say. Hey, I got a garage full of toilet paper. I could give away a thousand rolls and I'll have toilet paper till I'm a hundred years old. You could have peace about toilet paper, but this is the peace when there's two rolls of toilet paper and you give somebody one and there's none in the store. It's the peace that you can't understand. Why am I okay with this? Because God's faithful and he's true. And when we offer to him what he tells us to give to him, we can expect that he's going to give us what he says he's going to give us. The scripture goes on in chapter 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, think on these things. So when we're praying to God as Christians, we could pray, God, would you please make sure that I have enough toilet paper? Or because we understand the promise, we could make our prayer, God, would you see that my faith doesn't waver? That's what Jesus prayed for Peter when Satan was going to sift him. He didn't pray that Peter wouldn't get sifted. He prayed that in the sifting, Peter's faith wouldn't fail. So we can pray, not just that we'll have enough toilet paper, but we can pray an adult prayer that says, God, please see that my faith doesn't waver against the truth of your promise. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, worthy of praise. Dwell on these things. He's saying, set your mind. In Colossians chapter 3, I believe it's chapter 3, it says, dwell on things above, not on the things of the earth. Set your mind here. Here he's telling us, set your mind here. These things that are honorable, that are true, that have excellence, that are worthy of praise, dwell on those. What, what are the things that we could dwell on in that context? Is the promise of God. If you set your mind, like when, when fear tries to get me, remember, I, I think, I don't remember where I was telling, probably here at church, there was a thing that happened. And if that, that thing could have created a real problem for me. And I'm, I, I, I hadn't told Teresa about it, I mean, this is years ago. There was a potential that it might raise its ugly head, and it could have some substantial ramifications for me. And, and, and it made Teresa nervous. And probably three times during the day, she'd pop her head in where I'm at, and she'd say, aren't you worried about this? And I'd say, no. And she's like, oh, I can't get it out of my head. And she'd come back, and I'd say, no. And she's like, how can this not worry you? I said, because I just choose not to worry about it. If it wants to get into my head, I just don't let it in. I don't dwell on it. I literally don't dwell on it. Now, you know, that may sound like simple, but it works good for me. I have no stress about these things. I have no stress about really anything right now. There are things that would try to get on me. Matter of fact, I declared that I would not get sick, that I'm not going to get sick. Uh, it'd be like you could put me in the, in the coronavirus ward, and I'm not going to get sick. And over the past two or three weeks, I've had so many symptoms. Like, you never have a headache. It's a headache. Or you have the headache that feels like the headache when you feel like you're getting sick. You know? I've had that probably four or five times. Maybe six or seven times. I've had my sinuses start to hurt the way that my sinuses hurt when I feel like I'm getting sick. I've had body aches. I've had all these symptoms. 
And every one of them I've said, you lying devil, I don't know how you do this, but I am not getting sick. And you're not going to try to sell me somehow with your false symptoms that I'm really sick. And guess what? The headache stops. The sinus thing stops. Every bit of it stops. And then the next day, something will come again. And I'll say, no way, I'm not getting sick. And now that's pretty much... That's pretty much gone away in the last, I'd say, four or five days. But I can't even tell you how many times that I've come under where my faith was tested by symptoms. I could feel them in my body. I said, nope. It's the same process. I say, no. And then I don't think about them. They don't get to touch me because I don't give them a place in my mind. And they go away. Well, on the promises of God, next week we'll talk some more about the, the protection that we have from God, the Psalm 91 kind of stuff that's so amazing from God. Move on. Matthew chapter 6. Quick, 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 flip, flip, flip. Verse 24. And in your Bibles, you may have a bold heading between verse 24 and verse 25. That's the same course of Scripture. It's not a new thought. Verse 25 starts with therefore. It follows what he is saying, Jesus is saying in 24. 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, you cannot serve God and fear either. You can't serve God and serve fear. Because if you're serving fear, if you're afraid for your provision, then you're serving fear and you're not serving God. Because he says that you don't need to have that fear. The only reason that a believer, well, there could be more reasons, but in, in this context, in this world where we're at right now, where there's no toilet paper on the shelf, the reason we would serve mammon would be because of fear. Mammon is oftentimes serving mammon, which is serving wealth. What he's trying to say is this. Listen, if you think that you have to provide for yourself, if you don't trust, if you spend your time concerned with all these things that he's about to show us in 25 through 32, if you allow yourself to be concerned with the, the needs of your life, then you'll serve wealth. You'll do what you have to do to go and collect the the. Uh, financial means to be able to purchase those things and you won't be able to serve God because you're, you'll be serving fear in, in, the, in the face of mammon or wealth so that you can be safe to have the things that you need. Now, in verse 25 through 32, here's what we see. For this reason, what reason? You can't serve God in wealth. You can't serve God in fear. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Don't be concerned about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, people that don't know God, the Gentiles eagerly seek these things for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. So he's saying, listen, you can't serve me and wealth. You can't serve me and fear or anxiety or concern about the things of your life. You'll serve mammon. You won't serve God. He goes on in verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and seek first his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise. I, you know, I can't see your online hands, but, and you don't have to raise them here. But let me ask you, do you believe it? I mean, do you really believe that if you were to just be focused with all of your energies on representing the very righteousness of God in your life and seeking after the manifestation of his kingdom in your life, that you could leave your house in the morning and there's no food in your fridge and you could come home and there is? Do you believe that? Do you? You really should. Honestly, you should believe it because it's true. Kenner, do you believe it? I believe it. I tell you what, that man has such faith, I could pick any verse in the Bible and ask him if he believes it, and he'd say yes. I've even tried to sneaky get him with, like, Colossians chapter 6. I can't get him with Colossians chapter 6. He says, but Pat, there is no Colossians chapter 6, but if there were, I'd believe it. Yes, sir. Sure, but you've got to come up here and do it because no one can hear you. Oh. Yeah, thank you. I'm fall off my stool on internet TV. Stand in front of me so they can see you on the camera. Like this right here? There you go. Okay. <laughs> in 1977, my, my wife and I had to leave our business. And... We dispersed the funds that we had, and we sold our home and moved into a little rental in Farmington. And uh, from that moment, I was not allowed to work or do anything with my hands to earn a living. My wife, my three sons, and myself. Hey, we had... them why. why what? Why you weren't allowed to. Well, because the Lord told me I couldn't. Okay, told me not to. Yes, we're following Jesus now. So let me tell you about following Jesus, what it looked like. We moved into this house... And uh, we had no money now. The money we had left, we put into the house just to rent it. And we had two cars, had to put gas in it. We had insurance to pay like everybody else and rent to pay and food to buy. And we had no money. We continued just sharing the Lord with other people and getting involved with the church and just, you know, rejoicing and, and moving around, praying for people, doing what we do. And... Uh, a bag of groceries would show up on the back, back uh, stoop in the back of the house. I'd go someplace and find 20 bucks in my Bible when we left. We had a, I need to tell you this story, we had a little, a little piece of corned beef. It wasn't very big. And so my wife cooked it, and uh, the five of us ate dinner. And then it was just really small, about like that. And uh, the next night we ate dinner, and the third day we had sandwiches. And we lived like that 
for about 12 years. Just like that. No income, no prayer letters going out, no telling anybody what we needed. That's how we lived for 12 years. Traveled the country and beyond, preaching the gospel. Never took up an offering, just sharing the gospel with people. And the Lord covered us. And I have a thousand stories I could tell you, and I could keep you till next week and never repeat the same story about God's provision for our lives and how he took care of us. So believing God to, to, to have a morsel of bread or gas in the car, for me, that's become a, just my life. And so it doesn't matter what we do have or don't have. We've had times of abundance. We've had times of nothing. And the beat goes on. Never lost a pound. <laughs> anyway, I, I just, I, I'm thinking about all the, all the wonderful things that God did. I left my family with 40 bucks one time to go to Columbia, South Carolina with a tent and the three boys. I came home three weeks later, and they hadn't missed a beat. The bills were all paid. Food had been on the table. I never sent home a nickel. Didn't have a nickel. We lived on nothing. You see, the kingdom of God is not a part of this world. It's not relevant to the world. It doesn't matter what kind of a regime we live under. It doesn't matter about the virus. None of that really matters with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not part of it. Not even related to it. The church is not part of it. We're not even counted in the census. God doesn't see you as part of the world if you're part of the body of Christ. He sees you as part of the kingdom of heaven. So we've had a wonderful ride over the years. Now, he's brought us into a season now where we have, we have no possible lack of anything. For a while, anyway, I suppose. But we've lived on the other side. All three of my sons graduated from college. I never put out a dime for it. They said I was poor. Living like a king in the midst of this country because every day God came into our home, looked through the cupboards, looked at the gas gauge, looked at the bill box. And we had some real stressful times, too. Faith doesn't come easy. Faith is a part of an experience. I want to tell you there were times we were late on our bills. We had a situation one time in the uh, spring of the year. We'd, I'd like to tell you about this house, but I, I have too many stories. I can go on for a week. Why not, eh? Not today. Okay. Anyway, you can trust him with everything all the time. Every little possible anxiety and fear, you can trust him. Don't live by what you see. Live by the word of God. Thank you. That was awesome. Do you believe him? Internet people, do you believe him? I'm looking at you. Seriously, you need to believe him. We, we have, Teresa and I, financial testimonies that are off the charts. I, I was terribly afraid I was going to lose my job a few years after I became a Christian. And I had a job that I could never, I mean, in the natural, I could never reproduce it. Made a lot of money. 
And um, I went to see a financial planner and said, when can I retire? I think I was um, 46 maybe. And he said, when you're 62, if everything goes perfect, we can't miss a beat, and you could probably get out at 62. The following year, God's giving us these signs that he's going to take me out of my nice job. So I go back to the financial planner, and I say, hey, I haven't thought about the money since then. It seemed like such a long ways away. Hey, I, I might need whatever I've got because God's calling me out of uh, working for HP. So I, he said, well, bring me all your stuff. I brought him all my stuff. We hadn't talked in the year, year and a half since the first time. He starts clickety-clicking on his little machine and clickety-clicking and flipping the papers and he scratches his head and he looks at me and says, Pat, you could retire right now. When I'm 46, he said, not till I'm 62. A year and some months later, he said, I could retire right now. I said, why? We had over $2 million. $2 million in our investment accounts. Where did that come from? It came from God. I promise you, it came from God. It was unbelievable. And then we didn't take a paycheck for five years, right? Church wanted to pay us. We wouldn't take a paycheck for five years. I made a plan. I asked God for wisdom, right? He says, if you need wisdom, you should ask. But don't you doubt if he gives it to you. I made a plan because we had liquid cash, stocks and things of our two million whatever dollars. And uh, we needed to sell some. Teresa's like, Pat, you need to sell some stock. I said, I can't until the date in the plan. She says, well, I don't know about the plan, but I know one thing. We're not going to pay our bills if you don't get us some cash. I said, nope, I'm not breaking the plan. We get a call from Dana Rose, who was the bookkeeper at the time, and she says, Pat, your expense check is ready because everything the church owns pretty much flows through our Visa card. I went over to get it. She wasn't home. I went through the garage, and there was the check to pay back the money that we'd spent on behalf of the church and the Hallmark card. And in the Hallmark card was, a, you know, well, you know, from the church, we love you very much, and literally a check for $3,000. I called Teresa. I said, hey, church gave us $3,000. She says, good, we need it. I said, I think we should give it back. We need to trust God. She's like, no, you need to cash the check. <laughs> so I called the elders, and I said, hey, did you guys take up a love offering for us? And they're like, sort of. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, a love offering, it seemed like it should be $3,047.08 or something, not exactly 3000 They just decided that they were going to bless us. We cashed the check. I mean, Trista had to turn my arm too hard to cash the check. That money got us to the point where we were about to run out of our money. She paid the bills. We were going to have nothing left. We took that $3,000. I went to cash in some stocks on a Friday, but I wouldn't get it because Monday was Labor Day. Th that cash took us through those two weeks or whatever month. I forget what it was. And it ran out exactly the day that we could get the check from selling the stocks. Time and time again, God has been faithful. When Joe passed away, after a little while, it was too much. Trees drive to Rochester, drive home, crazy traffic. You know, the job is crazy. It's busy. It's a lot of pressure. She said, I, I can't work anymore. I, was, I said, okay, I'll get a job. 
I told the elders, hey, you know, I'm going to do my job as the pastor. I'm not going to neglect anything. I won't be quite as available, but I've got to get a job because we don't have enough money to pay our bills. They, they said, okay, you know, thanks for letting us know. And then Mike Pick called me. He said, Pat, don't get a job. I said, well, Pick, I had to get a job. I can't pay my bills. He said, no, God wants you to trust him. I'm like, well, you know, I've got a spreadsheet that I'm going to send to God. What's his email that shows i got this much bills and this much money? And he'll understand. And, and Pick just said, well, you know, do what you want, but I'm just telling you, I've been praying and praying for you, and God wants you to trust him. So I started praying, and the Lord, all of a sudden, I started reminding me of, just within the last few days, all these conversations where somebody's got an emergency, I'm like, you've got to trust God. Oh, you've got to trust God. You've got to trust God. So we don't have math that works for our finances, but our bills are all paid. And there's food in the fridge. I haven't missed any meals. I mean, because God is faithful. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he got money into Kennard's cookie jar or gas in his car, but he's God. He, he can do whatever he wants, and that's what he wants. He just wants us to trust him. You know, it's interesting. I'm not calling it retirement by any stretch of the imagination, and this isn't a plan. It's just how it worked out. But you know when we're going to leave for our next assignment with God? is basically right at my 62nd birthday when the guy originally said we would be able to retire. He didn't say anything about sailboats and Caribbeans, but I'm not complaining. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise that you can keep by faith if we don't fear. And then finally, verse 34 says this, So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So God is saying, listen, if you take and you look out and you start to concern yourself with what you see past today, it's going to consume you. And then you will serve some God other than me because you'll start to want to trust in yourself so that you can serve this God called mammon or fear or whatever. And interestingly... He says in the Lord's Prayer, like, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples said, John the Baptist has taught his disciples how to pray. Lord, you teach us. And in Matthew 6, 11, it says this. Give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say give us this week our daily bread for the week. It says for today. Give me today what I'm going to need today. Because that forces you to trust God for tomorrow. When Israel was in the wilderness and God provided for them manna, Every morning they'd wake up, and there it would be waiting for them. And he said, just take as much as you need for today. Don't take too much like you're going to store, because that would indicate that you don't trust me. But if they didn't trust him, and they tried to hoard the manna, it all got rancid the next day. They couldn't carry today's manna, today's provision, into tomorrow. They had to trust that God would bring his provision tomorrow. We see it all through the scriptures. God is faithful and trustworthy. <laughs> I'm going to try to hurry up a little bit. This internet church lasts a long time. Just quickly, God is able to meet our needs. I mean, you know that up here for sure, and, and to some extent you probably know it down here. But think about this. I, I won't read the scriptures, but there were 5,000 people that Jesus, he felt for them. Like, gosh, they've been out here all day. They're probably hungry. And the guy's like, well, where are we going to ever find enough food for 5,000 men 
which means probably 15 or 20,000 people with women and children. He said, you feed them. Well, what do you got? They had five loaves. And loaf isn't like, you know, Wonder Bread. It's like a pita bread, maybe. Five loaves and two fish. And everyone ate till they were full. All, let's say 10,000 of them, ate till they were full. And afterwards, there were 12 full baskets left over. So God takes this much, he feeds that much, and he's got like a thousand times more left over than he started with. The same is true for the 4,000. Seven loaves and a few small fish fed maybe twelve to 15,000 total people, 4,000 men, and finished with seven large baskets full afterwards. How about this? This is a little bit long, but let me read this to you. This is um, 1 Kings chapter 17. So hard to the left in your Bibles if you're tracking with me. 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 8. God speaking to Elijah. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering rocks. And he called to her and said, Please, get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So here this guy shows up. This lady's just getting ready to like, have a little tiny bite of food, and then she and her husband, or her child are going to starve to death. They're just going to die. That's going to be like their woo-hoo at the end of their lives. And he's like, no, give it to me first. Maybe there's a point in that too. Feed me first. Maybe take that toilet paper and offer it to God in the person of somebody that needs it. And then watch your flower bowl doesn't get empty and your oil bowl doesn't ever get empty either. Because God just can. He's looking for faith. Philippians 4 and 19. Famous verse. And my God, I know you didn't get there yet, but you can get there and see it after I say. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All your needs. Be anxious for nothing. What what can I still be anxious for, God? Well, nothing. Well, what needs could I still worry about? Because maybe you don't. 
None. All your needs. Through the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Last scripture. I'll wait for you on this one. Philippians 1.27. Paul speaking to the Philippian church. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I read that this week, just in my personal reading, and I've never stumbled over it before, but I, I stumbled over it this time, that we would be striving together, not just me, but all of us together, not for the gospel, which we should, but for the faith of the gospel. Isn't that interesting, that we would strive for the faith of the gospel? Now, we know that the gospel, it, it speaks to the uh, saving covenant that we can have in Jesus Christ with God, right? The gospel. But the gospel is bigger than that. The gospel is the promises of God for his people. The gospel is be anxious for nothing. The gospel is uh, do not fear. The gospel is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So together, praying for one another, striving together. Man, I don't know if I can do it. Well, you come with me and we'll watch it happen and then I'll come with you. And you can do it. But let's strive. Let's seek after. Let's live our lives in such a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Striving for the faith of the gospel. Not denying any part of the gospel in unbelief or fear. But having faith in every aspect of the gospel being true. And then walking it out in our lives. You know you believe it's true. When you give away your toilet paper, right? I mean, that's, that's when you kind of know it's true. When you say, I believe it, but I don't have to give away my toilet paper. Well, faith without works is what? It's dead, right? There's no life in it. Striving together. One spirit, one mind, standing firm, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I don't know how long this time is going to last. Right? It seems like it's going to last a little while because the virus is going to continue to do what the virus, unless God stops it, right? The virus is going to be the virus and, and the government and all the institutions are going to get scared and they're going to be afraid that the hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. But I say that we should absolutely let God's light, us, the body of Jesus, let it shine while we have this opportunity that we might not have forever. We won't have forever. Make your declarations be bold. Let there be faith. Let every declaration be salted with faith. But it needs to be your faith that you're striving for. I'm not going to get sick. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. I'm going to give away toilet paper. If people don't ask for it, I'm going to find somebody that wants some toilet paper. I'm going to give it to them. Because I know that God is going to meet my needs. We are not going to have any lack. That's what I'm telling you. I'm, I'm sorry. It's been such a long talk, and it's weird. Sorry, Internet people. I don't know if you can still see or not. I hope you can. We'll get it to work better um, for next week. But I'm just really, 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 really wanting you to be encouraged 
to be forceful, to be visible, to be Jesus in a way maybe that we've never been before so that they can see the city on the hill and be drawn to God. And we can see our God to be faithful. We don't do it to test him. We do it because we trust him. We know he's true. Amen? Amen. Father God. Oh, hey, also, um, Kim Green got a text during our meeting, and her dad, they think, has just had a stroke. So she's going to be running out to, what's her dad's first name? Dave. So can we, hang on, don't take me away. You're just backing up? Okay, yep, there you go. Let's pray for uh, Dave. Kim. Oh, my. Okay. Teresa's mom, too. She's in the ER. Father God, our faith is in you. Our trust is in you. We have no fear. What's the worst that could happen? We could die, but that's gain. So, Lord, right now we speak to you on behalf of Kim's dad, Dave. Lord, whatever has happened, whether it's a stroke or something else, it's the works of the devil. It's sickness and disease, strokes, none of that happens if the world's not fallen. So, Lord, hear our prayers as we apply faith in you to heal, to restore Kim's dad. That right now, God, we ask that his, his brain or whatever was malfunctioning, Lord, would be completely restored to your glory. We say Dave Ellens, is that the last name? Dave Ellens? We say Dave Ellens, you be well now in the name of Jesus. We, we speak to your body, every function in your body, and we tell it to be well in Jesus' name. Be there trauma or residue that it's gone now in the name of Jesus. We praise you, God. We praise you. We praise you for your mercy. We praise you for your power. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for the opportunity to operate in the very name and the power and the authority of King Jesus. We speak now to to Teresa's mom and the disorder that's manifesting itself in her legs. We command it to get right, to align itself now with the perfect order of heaven. Your word says, Father, that we're to pray to you. We pray to you that your kingdom come and your will be done in Evelyn Westfall and Dave Ellens as your will is expressed in heaven. There is no sickness, no disorder of any kind in heaven. And heaven, you've told us, is the perfect representation of your will. So Lord, we pray according to your instruction that that reality would manifest itself now in Mr. Owens and Teresa's mom. That all swelling and inflammation is leaving her legs right now. In Jesus' name. All disorder is aligning itself now with the perfect order of heaven.